Welcome to John Longwell Media. Creative multimedia including music, inspirational messages, and audio prose. Today's message is entitled, We Believe the Holy Spirit, recorded on August 27, 2017, at Revive Church in Rio Rancho, New Mexico, where John serves as a teaching pastor. I pray you will be blessed by the message as you listen. Here now is John Longwell. Lord God, we just thank you for this opportunity to uh, get into your word. Holy Spirit, we're going to share about you today. And I just pray that you would help me to reveal you in a way that is accurate and real. And that, Father God, that um, the Holy Spirit that lives inside of each and every one of us would just confirm that and make that real. We just pray these things in your mighty name. Amen. Well, I want to apologize first, because the last time I preached, I preached on temptation. And I was so excited about the message, and then I asked my wife, I was like, everybody seems, they were like, that was a heavy message, you preached on temptation. I was like, oh yeah, that's right. So today we're going to be speaking on the Holy Spirit, so hopefully you'll be a little bit more uplifted. I know Cindy was already, because she just kept going, Holy Spirit, Holy Spirit. So the Holy Spirit was excited that we were talking about him today, because he was giving everybody a little bit of a preview. So um, as we begin, I'd first actually like to tell you about my childhood best friend. His name is Kevin Jensen, and we met when we were about five years old on the golf course. Our dads were playing golf, and um, we stayed behind at the pro shop there. It was in Iowa, and so there were lots of grass and trees and stuff. And so we spent the next three hours while our dads were playing golf, and we were pretend fighting on a hill, and then we would roll down the hill once we got smacked and everything. All those great things that a child likes to do. Well, ever since that time, Kevin has been my best friend. And living in Iowa, I lived in the city, and he lived on the farm. And so we had the best childhood growing up. I got to spend the night at his house, so I got to pretend to be a farm kid. And then he would come in on another weekend, and he, he would spend the night at my house. We would go see movies. We would go to the swimming pool. It was the best of both worlds. And then uh, we grew up, and uh, he was in my wedding, and I was in his wedding. It was just one of those things, and even today, we don't see each other that often, but whenever we pick up the phone and we talk to each other, it's one of those connections that you could just sit there and talk for hours. A best friend is different than a regular friend, and I think the best way to exemplify it is, has anybody ever been to your high school reunion? Anyone? Anyone? And most of us don't because of this very reason. What are you going to say to these people after 20 to 30 years that you didn't have things to say to them when you were growing up with them? And that's usually the way it is. You, you, you get a chance to connect with an acquaintance, and you may not have seen them in 30 years, and sometimes you have less than three minutes of conversation. There's just nothing in common. And yet, with a best friend, it's like you can not see each other or talk to each other for three months, and you're like, oh, man, I got to go, but I could talk for hours. That's just the difference of that, of that kind of a connection. Um, my friend today, Kevin, he works, he actually lives in my old hometown in Ames, Iowa. He works for Iowa State University as an ag tech, uh, agricultural tech. And um, I think the best way to describe him is that even though I've never had a brother, he's as faithful as a brother that I could have ever, ever had. If I could have, what, imagine what it would be like to have a brother, I just think of my friend Kevin. He's always dependable whenever I've had an issue going on in my life. 
I can call him. And he doesn't just give me that, that pat answer. He doesn't just give me that, oh, well, things are going to be better. Things are cliche. It's that, you know what? He starts asking me those questions because he knows my heart. And he's even encouraged me to do things that may not have been popular. But he says, you know what? You need to do what's right. And that's the thing that I've always been able to appreciate about my friend Kevin is he's always kind of helped to bring me back to center compass. So as I mentioned, he's, he's like a brother. In Proverbs 18, verse 24, it describes a friend who sticks closer than a brother. And I'd actually like to tell you about another best friend that I have. This best friend I met when I was 13 years old, about 35 years ago, I was at a church youth camp out on the Apple River in Wisconsin. Now, the draw of the Apple River was there's, um, they, you can enter tube down the Apple River. There's a, there's a starting point and there's an ending point. And so our youth director at that time thought, you know what, this would be a great place to take all of our youth. You know, we'll, we'll, we'll kind of have our own little campground. So we, we went to a campground and then we went and we got the inner tubes and we're floating down the river and everything. And it was a great time except for one thing that my youth director didn't quite know about. This was also a party destination for college kids. And so if you can imagine that kind of a scenario, here's, it was basically a floating beer party all the way down <laughs> this river. So much so that on either side of the river, they had these big targets in these nets so that you would throw your empty cans and your beer bottles into the targets as you're floating down the stream so they didn't litter the river. And of course, my youth director probably didn't know about this before we got there. He wasn't probably prepared to bring a bunch of elementary and junior high age kids to a big floating beer party with girls in bikinis and people yelling expletives and just having a great time. So, you know, I'm a kid. I didn't think anything of it. I was just like, you know, enjoying my time rolling down the river on the, on the inner tube. Well, then that night, to make things worse, the party didn't end. Now we're at a campground, and so here we have three tents. We've got the girls' tent, we've got the, the director's tent, and then we've got the boys' tent. And so we've, we've made this little makeshift campground, and the, the director's there, and he's playing his guitar, and we're kind of all gathered around. Of course, you know, we're, we're uh, roasting marshmallows and all that good stuff, and we're singing. And all around us, it's just loud, and there's music, and people running around and screaming. And every once in a while, we'd get a drunk person walking through our campground, and he'd see the director playing the guitar, and he's like, oh, man, all right, cool. He just thought that was the coolest thing. So I'm sure my youth director thought this was the biggest failure. But for me, I grew up in an alcoholic home. And so this was nothing new to me. I was used to my parents and their loud parties and alcohol and all this kind of stuff. So I was not distracted in the least. So much so that that night when the youth director was, after we had done worship and we had done the roasting of the marshmallows and he shared probably some little story, it connected with me in a very real way. In fact, that was the night that I asked Jesus to come into my heart. Amidst all of that chaos, amidst all of that revelry against all of that partying, I found a connection, a true connection to my Savior. And so I remember that night, um, and it was kind of funny, there was two guys, and there was six girls, and so the girls were in one tent, and the guys were in this other tent, but it was like a 10-man tent, so literally you could walk around inside of the tent, because me and my friend Brian, we were, our sleeping bags were like right in the middle. So I remember waking up in the middle of the night, it was probably about three or four o'clock, 
And um, the tent was huge. I mean, you could literally stand up in it and have those little flap windows and stuff. And so I remember looking out of the, of the tent at the night, and finally the campground was quiet. All of the partying had ended, and, and I just remember looking out. But I remember looking out with new eyes, like I could see something that I had never seen before. There was this sense of peace in my heart that I'd never experienced before. And that was the first day and the first night of a journey that has continued for, for, for 35 years with my new best friend, the Holy Spirit. I would like to share with you, in much the same way as I shared about my childhood best friend, Kevin, who the Holy Spirit is. And I'd like to start by saying what he is not. He is not a thing, and he is not a what. He is a living being with feelings, emotions, and a personality. In fact, the Bible tells us the character of his personality, and we know this by the fruit of the Spirit, which is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. He's the third person of the Trinity and co-equal with God, the Father, and the Lord Jesus Christ. Two weeks ago when Pastor um, Tom had shared about the Trinity, man, I was just, I was blown away by that message. That was, that was awesome. I actually went up to him afterwards and I said, you need to put this one in your glass case because this is Hall of Fame level preaching, man. This is awesome. He talked about the Trinity, the Holy Spirit, Jesus Christ, and God the Father. These are eternal beings who existed before we as, as a world were even created. They existed in this community and he called it a community of love. Because at God's very essence, he is love. And everything that he does comes from that motivation of that love. And so, you know, I like the, the Lord of the Ring movies. So I was like, they're in a fellowship of love. That's exactly what this trinity is. It's like, you know, sometimes it's, it's cool when you have a best friend that you hang out with. But rarely are you able to have two best friends that you can hang out with. It brings this other dynamic to the relationship. And that's kind of what that Trinity is. It's that community of love where they're able to, to just interact. I, I, we don't have the brain power or the words to even describe the immensity and the coolness of it, but we'll just leave it at that. So what does the Holy Spirit do? We could sum it up in this one easy sentence. Everything as it relates to God. So everything that God does in creation goes through the Holy Spirit. And everything that creation does with God goes through the Holy Spirit. So I'm going to go through some of the roles of the Holy Spirit in both the Old Testament and the New Testament because there's no better way to understand who the Holy Spirit is and how he works than by seeing him in action. So we see that the Holy Spirit was a part of creation. In Genesis chapter 1, verse 2, it says, Now the earth was formless and empty. Darkness was over the surface of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. We also see that the Holy Spirit was actually the giver of life. In Genesis 2, verse 7, it says, Then the Lord God formed a man from the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and the man became a living being. And what's interesting, that word for breathe, pneuma, is actually the same word for spirit. Now, another thing that we see the Holy Spirit doing in the Old Testament was he gave special empowerment to certain people at certain times to perform a, a specific task. Now, the one that I'd like to highlight is from Judges chapter 14, verses 6. 
And this is about the judge Samson. You all familiar with Samson, the guy with the long hair, the big muscles. And it wasn't necessarily because he was taking steroids or he, he, he you know, benched a lot of weight. It was really his strength derived from the Holy Spirit. And we're going to see that in this specific instance. And it says, And behold, a young lion came toward him, roaring. Then the Spirit of the Lord rushed upon him, Samson. And although he had nothing in his hand, he tore the lion in pieces as one tears a young goat. Now, I don't know how easy it is to tear a young goat, but apparently it is much easier than tearing a young lion. So, but actually what that means is the connotation is more that of if you've ever had a piece of you know, chicken or turkey that's been cooked so well, and then you go and you just tear the bone right from the meat, so easy, it's so delicate. That's exactly the, the same way that he's, that's the, the connotation that he's saying, that, that um, Samson was able to just take the lion without effort at all and just rip him to shreds before he killed him. Now, um, another thing that the Holy Spirit was very central in was prophecy. And prophecy is basically words given by God through man that was going to foretell something that would come to pass. In fact, all throughout Jesus' ministry, we hear him making the statement, and he, he's basically connecting the dots for all of his disciples and those that were around. He's saying, this particular thing happened that the prophecy could be fulfilled in this way. And so, in Second Peter chapter 1, verse 21, we read, For no prophecy was ever produced by the will of man, but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. And in 2 Samuel 2.2, David, King David, we're all familiar with him, he was one of God's main voices for prophecy. And in fact, David admits in 2 Samuel 2.2, the Spirit of the Lord speaks by me, His word is on my tongue. David was very quick to give the credit to God that the words that he was speaking were not from him. They were divinely inspired by the Holy Spirit. So we've looked at some of the roles of the Holy Spirit in the Old Testament. Now we're going to move through history. Let's look at some of the roles of the Holy Spirit within the New Testament. And what we're going to see is that a lot of those roles that were in the New Testament are still in existence today. So the first one we can find in James 1 verse 5, which talks about how the Holy Spirit guides us. In fact, it says, If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God, who gives generously to all without reproach, and it will be given him. And what that means without reproach, have you ever been in a new position, a new job, or maybe you've been given a task, and the task is so foreign to you that you're constantly going and asking the person, how do I do this? I'm not quite clear on how to do this. And, you know, the first couple of times, it's like, okay, well, the, the person's just new. We're just going to help him out. But after about the fifth time, the guy's like, does this guy need to go see a mental specialist? Because he can't quite click with what's going on. And what is being said in, in, um, in this verse here is that we can go to God as many times as what we need to. And without reproach, without any sense of impatience, without any sense of annoyance, he will give to us the very wisdom that, that we seek for that situation. Another thing that the Holy Spirit does is he unites us with a love for one another. In Acts chapter 2, verse 44, it says this. Now, this is after the, 
the Holy Spirit has been poured out at Pentecost, and Peter has preached this message, and thousands of people have come to the Lord. And we're not just talking like Jews. We're talking about people from all over that given region have come, and they have now given their hearts to the Lord. And it says, And all who believed were together and had all things in common. Now, what's interesting about the fellowship of Christians is if you've ever been traveling, maybe been on vacation, and you happen to have an opportunity to go to another church, and you go in there and you sit down, sometimes there's that warmth that you can't experience in any other place. You may be involved in clubs or teams or things like that, and, you know, there may be that kindred nature, but there's something deeper when we, when we share that unity in the Holy Spirit where people will come up to you or you will actually go up to them and you will ask for prayer. Um, when I used to work as a flight attendant, I always loved the opportunities when I would be um, off on my overnight, either in the morning or like on a Sunday night, and I would be able to go to church because it was such a great opportunity to just see what the Holy Spirit was doing in other parts of the world or other parts of the U.S., And the thing that always got me was that he was always doing something similar there as to what he was doing in my home church. It's as though he was like sharing notes with all of these other pastors. And sometimes they would even be preaching on the same topic. It was so weird how how that worked out. And yet that's that unity of love that we have in the Holy Spirit. Now the next one is something that is just amazing to me. It's in Romans 8, chapter 26. And this talks about how the Holy Spirit prays for us when we don't know what or how to pray. It says, Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness, for we do not know what to pray for as we ought, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. Have you ever been at that place where you've come to the end of all of the the things that you know to do, and you're like, oh, well, I guess I should pray. And then you go and you go to pray and you don't even have the words to pray. I have started one of many prayers by going, Holy Spirit, please help me know what I'm supposed to pray because I have no clue what it is I'm supposed to pray. And it's wonderful because sometimes, and I think the best example of it is, um, in the morning time, like when we sleep in on a Saturday, that's the best time for me to dream. It's kind of like, you know, you, you don't have to get up early for anything, and so you kind of doze back to sleep. But you're kind of not really in that deep sleep. And there'll be some times when I'll make a noise, like in response to a dream that I'm having, that will actually wake me up. And it's like that groaning. In fact, I had one the other day, and I was walking on this bed because I had seen the bed moving. And I jumped off the bed, and these mice jumped out of the bed because there was mice in the bed. And I went, ooh, in my, in my dream. And she goes, she goes, oh, I thought you were dreaming of snakes. I was like, no, apparently I'm afraid of mice too. So, <laughs> and it was, you know, sometimes we react in a way that's it's so deep. These noises come from us, you know, even at 47 as a guy, that, you know, <laughs> it's those groanings that it's that response that it's like, oh. And that's kind of the way that the Holy Spirit intercedes for us because he knows us. He knows what we need. He knows exactly what needs to be prayed in that moment. In John chapter 14, verse 16, it talks about how the Holy Spirit helps us with everything. It says, If you love me, you will keep my commandments, and I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper to be with you forever, even the Spirit of truth. In fact, the very name of the Holy Spirit in this verse is the Helper. And the last thing that I want to touch on, there's many other roles that the Holy Spirit has, but the last one that I'd like to touch on is that the Holy Spirit purifies us and makes us more like Christ 
as we submit our, ourselves to him. And as we read in 1 John 1, 9, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So we could kind of sum up the, the Holy Spirit's roles into two categories. The Holy Spirit's role is one, involved with salvation, and two, he's involved with service. So I'll, I'll kind of break that down to what that looks like. So the Holy Spirit is involved in everything as it relates to our conversion, our death to life experience. John chapter 3 verse 5 is Jesus talking to this Pharisee named Nicodemus, and he's essentially telling him, what's the recipe to be saved? He says, truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. And so we see that right there that it's only through that being born through the power of the Spirit that we can truly be saved. Salvation is only accomplished by the power of the Spirit through faith. Ephesians 2 chapter 8 says, For by grace you have been saved through faith, and that is not of your own doing. It is the gift of God. So let me break this down for you. It's a really interesting process of, what it, of what's involved in being saved. So first of all, you have to have a desire to be saved. Well, where does that desire come from? That desire comes from the Holy Spirit. And then you have to have some means by which to be saved, which again is the Holy Spirit says, hey, I put this desire in you, and now I'm going to take you through that process by which you can now be saved. And then the second aspect of salvation is the after the fact you are now saved. And that is the salvation seal where the, the Holy Spirit permanently indwells us. He makes his residence in our heart. In Ephesians chapter 1, verses 13 and 14, it says, In him you also, when you heard the words of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory. So the message goes out. Um, and so let's go back to that campfire setting when I was 13 years old. The, I don't even remember, like I said, the, the story that was being shared, but es essentially the substance of the, sor the story is what I connected with. Something of that truth was shared. I was made aware that, you know what, I'm in a fallen state. i I, I have a desire and a propensity to do bad things, to sin. I became aware of that. I became so convicted of that that I said, you know what, I don't want to live my life this way. How do, I, how do I change? And the Holy Spirit says, you can't do that on your own, but if you allow me to come in, then I will give you the power to live a life differently than what you've ever lived before. So then that's where we read, um, I believed in him. Uh, let me see, the salvation seal. Okay, so the word came forward, the gospel of my salvation. I believed in him. Also, that believe, that's by faith. That's, that's a whole lot of stuff to believe and not seeing it. And we're going to get into that in, in a second about that faith. But here, here I was, a 13-year-old kid that had a propensity to believe in something bigger beyond myself. That was also the Holy Spirit in action right in that place. And then I was sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of my inheritance. So basically, a guarantee of that inheritance would be like um, someone that writes out a will. And in that will, it states that, okay, your name is going to go in here, and at a certain time and place when the person whose will that is dies, you are then going to take possession of everything that is in that will. So what that means for us is 
our, the Holy Spirit is like that document that lives within us. He's that proof that says, it's already written now. Your, your name is written in the book of life. And when you finally die, you're not just going to go into this ether of nothingness. You're actually going to go and you're going to live with the Father because now you're going to obtain that inheritance, which is yours through the power of the Holy Spirit. So um, now everything as it relates to service. Um, he closed us with power to preach and to perform miracles. In Luke chapter 24, verses 47 through 49, Jesus is speaking to his disciples about the mission that he's going to give them after he ascends. And he says, And that repentance for forgiveness of, of sins should be proclaimed in his name to all nations, beginning from Jerusalem. He says, You are witnesses of these things. And behold, I am send, sending the promise of my Father upon you. But stay in the city until you are clothed with power on high. So Jesus is basically in this. He, he's already, um, he's already, he was crucified. He's now risen from the dead. And this is a conversation that he's having with his disciples because he's now getting ready to ascend to the Father. And he's saying, okay, after I go, you're going to have some things that you're going to need to do. But you're not going to do them without power. So you're going to need to wait until that Holy Spirit outpouring comes to you. And that's when they will be clothed with that power to preach and to perform those miracles. In John chapter um, 14, verse 12, it says, Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes in me will also do the works that I do. And greater works than these will he do because I'm going to the Father. So if, you're in your, if you saw in your bulletin, this um, message is actually birthed out of one single question. And that question is this. Why did Jesus have to go away for the Holy Spirit to come? I always struggled with that. I was like, well, you know, here Jesus was on earth, and he's telling his disciples that he's going to have to go, and then the Holy Spirit's going to come. It's like, why did he have to go? Well, let's get into that. In John chapter 16, verse 7, I'll, we'll, we'll see where he says that. Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the Helper, the Comforter, the Holy Spirit will not come to you. But if I depart, I will send him to you. Now, I want us to notice that, first of all, it says, this doesn't mean that the Holy Spirit cannot come, but it means that he will not come. That's a decision that, that was made because of what I'm about to share. You see, the Spirit's ministry at this point in time um, could not begin until Jesus' ministry on earth was finished. And we know that Jesus came. He, he, was, he was born of a virgin, so he was um, given as seed in, inside of Mary, born so he's fully God, he's fully man. He walked through his life. He did something that we couldn't do, which was die for our sins. He was spotless and blameless. He died in our place so that we wouldn't have to suffer that penalty of sin. He rose again, thus breaking the power of sin over all of creation. He spent a little bit of time with his disciples in that preparation, and then he ascended to the Father. And then after that, the ministry of the Holy Spirit was to begin through all believers. You see, Jesus' earthly ministry was limited to where he could go in the flesh. It was limited by time and by space. But the Spirit's ministry is walking in faith, which if you think about it, if Jesus didn't go away, we wouldn't need faith. Because we, could, we wouldn't have to say, by faith you believe that Jesus existed. We could simply say, oh, there he is over there at the mall behind Coles. Or 
you know, he probably have, in this day and age, he probably have a, a 24-hour streaming channel on YouTube or something so we could always see where Jesus is at. But in order for the ministry of the Holy Spirit to truly come into to play, Jesus had to be removed from the scene so that by faith we would believe in him. So what Jesus was for a few, his disciples, for a while, the Holy Spirit is to be to all men in, all, in us for all time. But I, wanna, I want us to actually look at this little piece of time after Jesus has risen from the dead and he's spending time with his disciples and then he gives them this message. He says, nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It's to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the, the helper, the Holy Spirit will not come to you. But if I will depart, I will send him to you. Now, for the disciples, that's kind of a mixed bag because, one, they've just gone through a fairly traumatic event, which was their best friend, their teacher, being arrested in the middle of the night, being tortured, being nailed to a cross, and dying. And then, three days later, he rises from the dead, and their hearts are filled with joy. They've gotten him back. Do you think they want to let him go? Probably not. This is the guy that they've walked with, that they've talked with, that they have physically hugged. The man, I, I can't even imagine that. I'm, I'm a physical touch guy. I can't imagine being able to, to physically hug the Savior. And that's why I love, whenever you read in the Gospel about John, John was a physical touch guy. Because he, whenever he talks about himself in reference to Jesus, he says, he says, John, you know, the one that Jesus loved, you know. And, you know, in, in that picture there, you know, the one, you know, the, the Last Supper, you kind of see John leaning on, on Jesus over there. He, he was all over him. And so for them to be given the statement that, you know what, guys, I'm going to have to go, that had to be filled with a little bit of disappointment, right? But the promise was this. The end result was that the relationship, the kind of relationship that they had with Jesus, this best friend type of relationship, Jesus is now saying, if I go away, the same spirit of that is going to be able to be shared with everybody that asks Jesus into their heart. That's what is amazing. You're going to have that same sense of warmth, that same sense of connectedness, that same ability to ask for help, that same ability to ask for comfort, that same ability to say, I don't know what to pray. Can you help me pray? And now it's, it's not outside because even with the relationship that the disciples had with Jesus, it was still another person kind of a relationship. They didn't, Jesus wasn't inside of their heads, but now we have this this role where Jesus is now not there physically, and because he's not there physically, we have something that lives inside of us, which is that, that Holy Spirit best friend potential and voice and warmth and comfort. Now, as I conclude today, I, I want to admit something that I'm not very proud of. I, for the longest time, when someone would tell me that they lost a loved one, I didn't really have a great amount of empathy for them. Um, I would always kind of think in the back of my mind, oh, well, I'm, you know, I'm sorry to hear that, but I'm sure you'll get over that. You know, in time, you'll, you'll get through that. And then, of course, 
the reason why that was is because I'd never really lost anybody. No one that I had known that was close to me died. My dad died 20 years ago, but as in growing up in an alcoholic home, if any of you have any point of reference with that, there's only so close that you can get in those relationships. And so we never really had a great or a close relationship. And so when he died, yes, there was that, that sense of missing him, but I, I didn't really have anything ripped away from me because I was never really that close to him. It was about a year ago, last year, that my sister and I, we flew up to where my mom was living in Iowa. She's living on a farm. And uh, she had shared about how her, her health wasn't doing well. And, but it was okay. Every time we talked to her, oh, it's, it's fine, it's fine. Well, that's, that's the mom making the best of the situation, not wanting to tell the kids how bad things really are. And then my sister had gone at first, and then she said, you really need to get here. So I went and I flew up, and then we both realized quickly that her, her health was in such poor condition that she really needed to be moved somewhere close to family. So within about three days time, we loaded up an entire household and we took what we were going to take and we moved her down to Louisiana where, where my sister lived. And um, she, would be, she had been dealing with some stuff for about six months and finally we, we got there and we got the diagnosis, diagnosis and she had pancreatic cancer. And uh, the oncologist, um, he said, it's not necessarily terminal. We're gonna, you know, we've, we've caught it at a fairly early stage. So we're going to start you in your regimen of chemo and all that stuff. And so when we finally got her to, and she was dealing with some other kind of related health stuff that prevented her from starting on chemo right away. She had some lung issues and things like that. And um, so finally, after about two months, it was in October, she had her first round of chemotherapy. And after this long kind of like declining, we finally felt like things were finally, you know, smoothing out. And, and after her first chemo, we felt like things were actually beginning to improve. And then five days after her first chemo, my sister called to tell me that she had passed away. And that was sudden, especially after that whole preparation that we had done. And um, my mom, she was very close to my sister and myself, my wife, our kids. She was always there for the grandkids. And um, I wasn't ready to let her go. In fact, we had already made plans to go visit my sister in Louisiana for Thanksgiving. And instead of using those tickets for Thanksgiving, we were now using those tickets to go back to Louisiana and have a funeral. And so finally, God gave me my dose of empathy for people <laughs> that lose someone. And I was like, wow, this is really kind of hard. <laughs> this isn't what I thought it was, you know, and, and I'm sure things will get better, but not right away. You know, I think that the thing that I miss the most that a lot of you may re relate to is just the inability to pick up the phone and talk to someone, you know. I've had people that have moved away that I'm close to, but you know, you can pick up the phone or get on Facebook or you can connect with them in some certain way. And so I share that to say that if my mom had told me, if I had had the ability on her deathbed for my mom to say, you know, it's to your advantage that I go away, <laughs> I'd be going, I don't really think so, you know? But that's really the kind of statement that Jesus was making to the disciples saying, you know what, guys, it's to your advantage I go away. And they're like, no, 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 I don't think it is, God. I really enjoy this fellowship. I enjoy us. And, you know, if anybody else happens to get a little bit of you, that's great. But we kind of like what we have right here. And that's what a lot of churches have become as well. You know, we like what we have right here, but the Holy Spirit that's been given to us has not just been given to us. It's been given to us for the world. It's been given to us to share the best friend that we have for all of the world that doesn't have a best friend, that doesn't have someone to talk to, that doesn't have someone to help, that doesn't have someone to teach, to guide, to comfort. That's who we are with the Holy Spirit living within us 
to the world that is in need. So as I share this, I want to summarize this message in this sentence. The Holy Spirit is the God we experience. God's voice, God's presence, God's power. If I could have the worship team come up. We're going to sing one more song. We're going to sing the last song that we, uh, that we sang uh, during worship. And I just, I just loved it. Um, so I'll ask you two questions. Number one, have you experienced God personally? Maybe you know about God. Maybe he's a, maybe he's a word. Maybe he's a historical figure. But you've never really personally experienced him. Today can be that opportunity. I invite you to come up and to pray with Juliet. Just say, you know what, I don't even know where I'm at on this path, but if you, if you would pray for me, guess what? The Holy Spirit knows exactly where you are on the path, and he will reveal himself to you in a way that is personal to you. If, if it works on a, a silly 13-year-old, then guess what? It'll work on an adult. I've proved perfect for that. And the second thing that I want to challenge you is if you do know who the Holy Spirit is, have you spoken to him intimately? And I challenge you, get away from the distractions. Turn off the TV, maybe turn on some worship music, take a walk, take a drive. Begin to share the things that you struggle with out loud. Don't just let them be bottled up in your brain. Speak them out loud. He knows exactly where you are. He's waiting for you to be real. And then sit and ask the Holy Spirit to lead you, to guide you, to direct you. And know that the Holy Spirit will never lead you anywhere that the Bible does not confirm. He's not going to have you do some weird, you know, kind of a walkabout or anything like that. It's going to be confirmed in the Word of God. And so confirm it in the Word of God so that you know it's not just your own, your own wild thoughts. The Holy Spirit lines up with the Word of God because as Jesus was the Word, everything is co-equal with God the Father and the Holy Spirit. And the last thing that I would like us to be encouraged by is that... You know what? Sometimes there's those times in our lives when we're given those difficult words, those it is to your advantage kind of cliches at a time when something is being taken away. But as we, as we were singing the song this morning, it really hit me. Empty me, empty me, and fill me with you. Sometimes we have to get to that place in our life where God says, you know what? We're going to clear everything out and we're going to start from scratch because everything that was there before was distracting you. It was taking your attention away from where it really needs to be. And I want to be able to grasp a hold of your heart, your mind, your attention, your focus for more than just a few seconds on a Sunday morning. And I want that to stay with you. And so if you find yourself in a season of maybe a little bit of disappointment, I want you to be encouraged that it is to your advantage that these things may have been taken away. Because God is never going to take away something that he's not then going to fulfill with something of greater substance that will be to your benefit or that will be to the benefit of those that God has placed within your life. I can't tell you how many stories of pain that I've heard from people who then, a couple of years later, become the proponent of something for those that have gone through the same kind of issues. That's exactly how God works in his economy. So if you'd pray with me. Lord God, we thank you for your Holy Spirit, who's our best friend, who lives within us, who speaks to us. Holy Spirit, I, I pray that, that you would reveal yourself beyond the words that were shared today, in words that are personal and meaningful and intimate with every single person here, that if uh, 
we don't know you personally, that we would take that opportunity to ask Jesus into our heart and to even get a better understanding of what that means for our lives. Lord, there's a, there's a tremendous amount of untapped power, potential resources of the Holy Spirit working through our lives that we've not yet even touched upon. And Lord God, allow us to become ready and willing to partner with you so that you would become greater in our lives, that we would decrease, and that the world would be touched and healed and helped in a way that only you can do through us. Lord God, we thank you. We give you glory. In Jesus' name, amen. We hope you've enjoyed this inspirational message. Please email questions, comments, and booking information for John to mail at johnlongwell.com. To see the full range of creative works, including books, inspirational messages, music, art, and web development content, please log on to www.johnlongwell.com. Thank you for listening, and may God's blessings be yours in abundance.